Hey guys, how's it going? I have a quick note about this month's episode. I enjoyed recording with my guests, Crystal and Thea, so much that I wanted to give you guys the full opportunity to hear all of the wisdom and all of the fun. But it was a really long episode, so I decided to release two versions. One version will be the extended cut that is the full length of the interview. The other version, which you're about to listen to right now, will be the final cut, which is closer to the usual length of my episodes, 45 minutes to an hour 15. Please listen to whichever one that you prefer. I know everyone has different preferences about how long they want their podcast episode to be. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Sometimes you get to a point in motherhood where you're like, nobody's appreciating me, nobody's listening to me, I'm trying to do other stuff, da 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 Middle school is when literally hell just takes over your child. No one is going to give you space as a mother. Do you think it's appropriate for people to comment on someone else's <laughs> parenting? Thea, where I'm laughing, y'all, because Thea turned her video off. Adulting can be hard, even scary. Adulting Horror Stories shares intimate tales of adulting fails and insights into how to avoid them. Hello, and welcome to Adulting Horror Stories. I'm your host, Dion, and today I am honored to be joined by Crystal and Thea of Dem Black Mamas podcast. Dem Black Mamas is a trio that centers on the healing, creativity, and liberation of Black mothers. Their podcast focuses on the journey of the mother as opposed to the journey of the children. You can access all the amazing work they do at www.demblackmamas.com slash links. Dem spelled D-E-M. How are you guys? Yes. Good. Yes. Thank you for emphasizing yeah. that dem. That's important that's to important us. important because that's a shout out to African-American vernacular. A lot of people to think it stands folks. for... Right. A lot of people think that it stands for Democrat, but it's, it's dem as opposed to them is dm yeah yeah <laughs> they think it's democrat black mothers no no good to know call people what they want to be called and get the website right <laughs> how are you guys um how is you <laughs> why do i have to always go first <laughs> um i am centering myself and um tapping out on motherhood for the remainder of the day <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. I love that for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you get to the point, well, I don't know, people listening. Sometimes you get to a point in motherhood where you're like, nobody's appreciating me. Nobody's listening to me. I'm trying to do other stuff. Da, 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 da. And that's a cue that, girl, you're doing too much and you need mm-hmm. to sit down and tap mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. go somewhere and center yourself and figure out what is making you happy because it's like, you want everybody else to be happy with you and satisfied with what you're doing. And they're just in their own little world, minding their own little business. So, yeah. So that's where I am today. That's good. I don't know where I am. I'm in I'm in the multiverse. I'm probably in no less than four or five different thought spaces, mm. spiritual spaces and feeling spaces. So I, I really just want a quiet place to just exist in all those spaces 
<laughs> that's what I'm seeking today. Like, I, I don't know that I'll get it. I'm hoping by transferring some of this energy to my mama's house. (laughs) 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 That she might give me like a quiet hour to myself to just like be with the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Sometimes I just roll over. Hey, mom, we ain't seen you. She'd be like, girl, I know what that means. Just come on. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so I'm grateful to have her and to have that space, but also the awareness that I am existing in multiple spaces and times and doing good work in those spaces. But I sometimes just want a quiet space to just let that be. So we're both tapping out today? But mine is in a deep way. (laughs) (laughs) The shade! I gave like an, a, we gave a deep, rain. A deep this is what we do. I feel, like I, I feel like I gave a deep reason. No, you did. We gave. We look at our host. We gave range for all people listening. This is what okay. we do. Okay. If we I'm were, not if in Rikisha the. was on here, she'd be like, "I don't know. I don't know. I don't know." And it'll be somebody that will identify with that. You know, it's just I'm not in the multiverse. I'm just I, in this universe. My bad. <laughs> You're actually not. But we can talk about that later. Okay. okay. You're in all the verses. <laughs> how are you this is your podcast how are you i'm doing great i'm so excited to talk to you guys you know it's been one of my goals to just bring a more and more diverse set of guests on and getting three parents willing to talk well two parents now's a good time to mention um i said damn black mamas is a trio there is a third mama mm-hmm. nakisha she could not make it yeah she had a conference today so she couldn't make it. yeah but we'll make sure we sprinkle her in here There we go. So to get you guys here, I'm super proud. I hope that you both have your opportunities to check out from parenting and transition (laughs) that potentially childish energy to other (laughs) caretakers, if possible. Yes. Yes. Ashe, I accept that. Before we start, would you like to tell the audience a little bit more about yourselves? Thea, I went first with a how are you? My name is Thea Monier. I am a Leo. We should know that up front. I focus a lot on my company, which is Marley IO. Marley IO has a lot of offerings. One is Shaping the Shift podcast, which is the podcast that I, I do solo in addition to doing Den Black Mama's podcast. Mm-hmm. Podcast focuses on navigating change and like embracing change. And I also, through that company, run the Black of the Brain, which is a decolonizing mental health cohort and collective that I absolutely adore. We also have done the Free Joy Experience with Ebony Janice Moore. I am running the Joy Center Living Experience, which is a cohort experience for eight months focused on how to live a joy, a sustainable joy-centered life. And all of our approaches use joy as a weapon against systemic oppression. So when we talk about joy, we're not talking about it in a very passive cute t-shirt way. We're talking about it as a tool for liberation. Um, And so we have all types of people come to that. And then we also do Hold Us Sacred Retreats, which is one of our most exciting offerings, which is I take people to the Red Sea and hold space as an Oya priestess. I practice the Ifa tradition and use, you know, both that and nature to create kind of a transformational rebirth experience that I'm really, really love and I'm excited about. It's really about 
can we hold ourselves sacred? So most of us are waiting to get free or while we're waiting to get free or while we want to be treated as sacred, we actually don't know what that feels like or what that looks like as a lifestyle, as a way of being and existing. And so all the holder sacred work challenges us to start that work while we are in societies that don't hold us sacred, but also to transport us to places that do hold us sacred and offer that experience. And so that's me. My website's at theamoye.com and all that stuff is available. I'm an author, a writer, a poet, all the things. Did I do well, Crystal? Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know. Because Crystal I mean, was like, girl, you didn't say this. And I'd be like, did, did I, I mean, catch no, it all? I think you did good. I, oh, okay. okay. I'm like, girl, who am I? Um, so I am Crystal Tenille Irby. I'm a powerful, transformative, creative being. At my core, I'm a creative. Everything that I do, every relationship that I have is rooted in creativity. I create a work that centers Black motherhood, uh, specifically Black mothers um, in the South. I am a mother of four, and I am the executive producer of Dim Black Mama's podcast. I'm also the founder and director of Creators Well, which is a nonprofit organization committed to retreats, creative workshops, creative experiences for Black girls ages 12 to 19 living in South Carolina. And I also am a trained doula, but I'm not practicing right now. I'm working more in advocacy for Black mothers. So all of my work centers creativity and Black motherhood, and I am um, definitely a child of the South, <laughs> the Black South, the Black <laughs> part, the Black South. There's differences. I get that. Yeah. Getting into the episode, today we'll be talking about parenting. It's a commitment that can last up to 18 years. Oh, no, <sighs> much longer. It's complicated and ever-changing as our world changes. And as a result, I wanted to discuss what I think are some of the most difficult aspects with people who have years of wisdom on the subject. <laughs> what is that okay. <laughs> oh, you'll see. Oh, okay. You'll see. Keep see. going. You'll Keep see. Keep going. Um, you'll see. There's going to be so much. You When you're editing, you're like, do I want to keep this in? <laughs> Should I keep this in? If this is my first three-hour episode, so be it. <laughs> it probably will be. But before we start, I do want to address the elephant in the room. I am currently not a father. There are no fathers mm-hmm. being interviewed. <laughs> I tried to get the host of a podcast about being a father to come on the podcast, but was unsuccessful. Oh, I have one for you. Oh, you? I will give you one. Awesome. Yes, my husband. I am down. <laughs> okay, I will give him your information. Audience, look for that episode a couple months down the line. While Thea has so graciously agreed to help me find a guest, I'll still put out there, if you are a father out there listening or know someone who you think would have good insight on parenting from the father's side, slide into my DMs or email me and let me know. I am happy to do a part two. <laughs> That's awesome. So the way I normally do the episode is I share an embarrassing story of me having trouble with adulting <laughs> and then my guest shares one. As I am currently childless, or at least, you know, no known children out there. Um, no, no. <laughs> That's good. I'm kidding. That's good. good. It's That's important inclusive. though. That's inclusive. I appreciate that. So anywho, 
Because I am currently without child, the only horror stories involving me are the ones that I inflicted on my own parents. <laughs> yep. Without outing myself too much, I have gotten lost for hours walking home from school and my parents mm. had to come find me. I had multiple mm. stomach viruses when I was younger, often resulting in foul things coming out of me at both ends. I once <sighs> locked myself in the bathroom and then started freaking out because I didn't know how to unlock the door. And I was a complete nightmare in middle school. Not giving any further context, oh. I was just, I think personally. <laughs> what do I always say, Crystal? What do I always say about Chris? What do I say? Ask Crystal what I say in middle school. What I say? Literally, the devil's playground. The yeah. devil's playground. I mm -hmm. Middle school is when literally hell just takes over your child. You know, they're, they're unrecognizable. It's awful. I agree. For everybody. As a former middle schooler, like, you can, you can be bad. <laughs> you can be a troubled child, a misunderstood child at any time. But I do feel like the most vicious, casually vicious, vicious. with no, like, guilt. Casually? Casually vicious, casually vicious yes. is good terminology. Yeah, yeah, it's a borderline sociopath. Yeah, it's like right there. There's like no remorse. There's no feelings about it. It's just cutthroat. In high school, yeah. I could still be vicious, but I I had a little more of a moral compass. I'd feel a little bit bad. Yeah, something comes. Middle yeah. school. Yeah, something clicks in. Yeah, they yeah they level out like kids level out like fifteen and a half, sixteen. Yeah, that's what I would tell you. Out. I just yeah. tell parents to survive till that point. Yeah. And as a parent, you have to know that. Like, I mean, even sometimes I forget even that. Even knowing I'm, it, though, is just... Yeah, that's what I mean, say. You, no, but, yeah. but you have to... Uh, remember we'll, we'll it's developmental. It. But, but yeah, yeah, you have to remember it's developmental and not personal, which is very Ooh. hard. That is so difficult. Difficult. And that you're still legally responsible. For you're them. legally so, responsible. You know, and that someday, right. Home. And that someday <laughs> this person is going to be an adult. And even if what you're saying right now isn't sinking in, you have to act as though it will be, it'll come back up later. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Those years are tough. So in spite of all that, I consider myself to be the least difficult of all of my siblings. Me too. <laughs> right? Same. Twinning. Same, same. And because I know at least one of them is probably going to hear this, I'd like to clarify <laughs> that. Well, if mine hear it, they know it's true. My mom said it. There we go. Because I know at least one of them is probably going to hear this, I'd like to clarify that I stand by that statement and will not entertain <laughs> any further discussion. Dion doubled down. Dion doubled down. down. Yeah. He doubled down. I know... Dion, you are impressive. I'm going to get a text message from someone like, oh, so it's like that? And I'm going to be like, yes, mm. period. It's yeah. like that. Mm. Mm. It's like that. That's the mark of a grown-ass person when they double down. It's also the mark of an Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so in terms of me being a horror towards my parents, why did it happen? Because that's what kids do. And mm -hmm. what did I learn? That I should call my parents more. <laughs> <laughs> but jokes aside, I think I learned being a parent, and in my parents' case, being an immigrant at the same time is extra hard mm -hmm. because you're learning a new country and a new child. The school system is different. The laws are different. 
you may not have the same support system that you did back home. Mm -hmm. And living in the U.S. is expensive. So if you're the child of immigrants, as much as I'm Mm -hmm. sure they get on your nerves at times, a.k.a. all the time, give them a little grace, just a little. Mm -hmm. So that's me. Now to the real meat of this episode. I have 10 questions that I think cover some of the more difficult and controversial aspects of parenting. And I'm hoping that then Black Mamas can share their take on how to address these questions and really take some of the anxiety away that comes with Mm. being a parent. So without further ado, let's get into these questions. Okay. The first one will be, do you have any parenting horror stories of your own? For the first, like, for my preschool, my kids went to, it was all Black school. Like, I was like, all Black, no matter what. So then when they went to public school, one of the things that I would always ask them whenever they were talking about a kid from school or whatever was, you know, what race are they, you know? And so my now 13 year old was having a party and, you know, now you have to invite all the kids to the party in the class. Right. Mm -hmm. And so his teacher called me because she said, when I gave out the invitations, he also wanted everybody to let my mom know your race when you RSVP. She... <laughs> did you? Did you ask him to do that? No, I did not. But because I always ask what was people's race, he was like, yeah. So when you RSVP, make sure you say your race because she always wants to know what race people are. And so his teacher, she emailed and, you know, she's a black lady and she was like, yeah, I, you know, I get it. But <laughs> yeah, I was just like, ooh, ooh. like that's how well, I you know was. What I'm to but he, he was like, you know, why do you always ask that? And I would just say, you know, because I need to know like what I'm dealing with, what I'm going to be encountering. So, so that, that's kind of a horror <laughs> story, I think, but definitely my birth story was just like, I thought I was going to have like this birth, like one of the ones you see on IG Live or IG, you know, I thought that that's what my mother, I thought that, that was what my pregnancy and my birth would that's be like. And it was just grimy as fuck. Mm. Like it was just the grimiest thing I've ever experienced. And it was because of a lack of knowledge about birthing and pregnancy. And um, I ended up having to have a C-section, which is where the horror comes in at. Mm. So... <laughs> When you have a C-section, they come in and, you know, they they prepare your body from the waist down, right? And so they give you an epidural to completely relax your body. Mm-hmm. And when that part of your body is completely, <laughs> completely relaxed, you know, things are relaxed. And so, like, I just started, like, passing gas and I couldn't <laughs> control it. It was horribly embarrassing. And then, you know, they also have to like shave your body like they would do for any part of your body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had been pregnant for nine months. And so wasn't nobody trying to Mm -hmm. get the bikini wax, you know what I'm saying? And when that nurse lifted up that gown and started to shave, my mom was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you have not taken care of that. You could have done something. You could have went to go see the Asians. They would have handled that. And I was just like... (laughs) And the nurse, of course, was Asian. And it's just like all the things. So 
I feel like from <laughs> I feel like like it just started out with the horror story, like from jump. So that is the parenting horror story. I'd like to come out and say I'm pro having your pubic hair be however you prefer it to Especially- be. I love that. I feel like that too. I don't like there'd be no shaming. And if you could have seen me, like I was ginormous and just absolutely miserable. And so it was just horrible. And I was just like, oh, can we, at this point, I'm just like, just get the baby out. Can we just get this over with? Like, this is, this has turned out to be nothing, nothing (laughs) that I envisioned. Absolutely nothing. Just get the baby out, whatever way you can. Mm. Yeah. I will say, you don't need the epidural for that to happen. My mom has been in situations where um, I think a woman was oh, maybe being yeah. driven to the hospital oh, yeah. or something, or like she was like close to being due, but not quite. They um, mm-hmm. stopped at, I think, a grocery store. And it's like while they went in the grocery store, the pregnant woman was in the car, started going into mm-hmm. labor and... It was a wrap for that car. Well, because it's all yeah. in the same yeah. section. It's all in the yeah. same section. And all of those muscles, I'm, I'm a doula now, so like I know now, but all of those muscles have to relax. So often when a mom can't relax enough, they often tell her to like sit on the toilet because it's it's uh, it's like muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So you automatically mm. relax, you know, when you do that. So it's all the same. I mean, it happens, but I just didn't know it then. And I didn't want six people in the room witnessing yeah. <laughs> Witnessing that, but yeah, it's a lot. Horror it's very story. vulnerable. Horror story. I'm still healing from that. Still healing. I understand. Still healing. Yeah. How about you, Thea? Horror stories, Thea. <laughs> There's a lot of stories. There's just a lot of stories, and this is a very interesting time to be asked this question. I think I would tell this horror story because it's the least traumatic. Is when I realized that my kids, that there were two of them and one of me. Hmm. That they could like that they could plot against me for the first time. <laughs> they were little. I I don't. I want to say they were like maybe three and one and a half. They're oh they're gosh, I was around Irish then. twins. They're, yeah, yeah. You were. We, it was at the Fresh City House. Okay, and um, you know, it's a weird thing to say because you know they all that sounds very young, three and one and a half, but you can actually leave them for a moment in the right setting. You can. And do something for yourself at that age, as opposed to when they're much younger, mm-hmm. right? So you're kind of feeling like your little first taste of like a little. So I think one was probably three and the other one was like 18 months or like that. Talani started walking very young. She was walking at nine months and she was all talking. She was always trying to catch up with her sister. So they were watching their show. I'm like, great. I'm going to watch Grey's Anatomy because I'm behind. I was keeping up. And they're too quiet for too long. And, and you know that that's actually, that's like mothering horror stories like when you're like oh shit it's too Mm -hmm. quiet right like that's actually like fear (laughs) strikes your heart and i go i don't want to go in a room because just in case everything's fine (laughs) i don't want them to notice that i'm there and i still want to go back to Grey's anatomy so i go around the room but i notice from the room there's like a trail of wrappers Hmm. and i'm and i follow the trail to the kitchen refrigerator and i i think i know what it is but i'm like i'm gonna have to open this door i go back to their room i open the door and they're like little rats. They're eating literally every type of cheese that was in that refrigerator. <laughs> like they're eating cheddar cheese, Kraft Singles cheese, shredded cheese. Like they got all the cheese. And I I look at them and I know it's a conspiracy. Like I know it was a planned, co-facilitated strategy, right? And I remember saying to them, I remember like, 
y'all gonna be blocked up. And I don't know who you think is gonna deal with that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who you think. Then you're gonna be like, mommy, mommy, my WR, but you did this. I mean, it was like they had they had done like created like cheese balls out of it. It was a wreck. Every form of cheese that was in the refrigerator. But I remember the scariest part to me was like, oh shit, I gotta break up this communication. They done synced up. You know? <laughs> They didn't synced up on me, which means like I got to think differently now, you know, it was just, and it was the beginning of that. It was a season of that actually. It was just plots and ploys, you oh, know, boy. but eventually. I remember that. And I she adapted. was, Thea was so serious about Grey's Anatomy. Like she would stand up, watch it. Like it was literally like my thing standing right up, she would watch Grey's Anatomy. Like that's how like serious she was about it. So it was like It was all her, I had, you know? It was, all, it was, was like her mom. thing. Yeah. It was all I had. Yeah, I remember that. I, I couldn't go that. to the club. I you know, that. couldn't go to the club. Couldn't do that. that. So yeah. I was watching yeah. Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. There's someone I know who when she was younger, I don't know what it is now. It's some... I want to say South American fruit, maybe with seeds, but um, she just ate a ton of them, like an ungodly amount of mm. them yes. and got blocked up. And her dad had to like pick them out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, who you think <laughs> going to be doing all that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you'll be sad. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing those. Mm. The moral, though, is make sure you get a doula if you're pregnant. So then you'll know, like, everything to expect once you're in labor. That's the moral of my story. The moral of my story is divide and conquer. (laughs) I support both those responses. (laughs) My next question is, how do you overcome the anxieties that come with trying to create the best life for your children? So on my end, you know, I feel like I've seen parents, you have to read a bunch of pamphlets, childproof your home, your house that you've lived in safely for five years is a whole death trap. You need to get not just car seats, but the right car seat. You think this cute little toy or walker you played with when you were younger is perfectly fine, (laughs) but now in the modern day, it's a death trap too. How do you sort of like (laughs) do those things, create a good life for your child, but not constantly feel like you're a failure or like two seconds away from messing something up. Yeah. I think, you know, the first part that you were talking about, like in terms of um, physical safety, like when they're a baby, I mean, we have four children and um, two of them are my stepkids who came to live with us. One came to live with us two weeks after we were married and the other came to live with us five years into our marriage. He finished eighth grade in uh, high school Hmm. with us. So with them, I didn't have those moments, you know, when they were babies. But with the babies, you know, honestly, I think it's a little bit easier in terms of their physical safety because you have concrete information, right? So I can go look up, you know, the latest car seat. What are the rules and regulations for a car seat? They even have like car seat check dates at the police station where they can check your car seat and all of that. I can look up the latest toys. If if I'm feeding my child baby food or formula, there's going to be an alert out if something's wrong with it. You know what I'm saying? And so you definitely have to make choices, but there's a little bit more concrete information when they're young in terms of their physical safety, right? Mm-hmm. For me, at least, that was never my anxiety point, childproofing my home and all of that. The anxiety particularly for Black parents, comes in the question of what is safety? What does safety mean? And 
accepting that safety is relative, depending on who you ask, particularly when it comes to Black parents. And this, for me, honestly, I had to kind of release the idea of safety as a parent. And it came in particular when uh, Eddie Long was accused of child molestation. Eddie Long and Sandusky at Penn State, Mm -hmm. where those things happened really close together. And Mm -hmm. I realized, like, those children trusted those people, but the parents trusted those people as well. And so predators not only groom children, they groom parents. Mm -hmm. And parents are just looking for the best for their children, trying to fulfill a need for their children. And I had to kind of release the idea of safety and embrace the idea of bravery. Because if I'm constantly thinking about safety, my anxiety is going to be sky high in a white supremacist world. You know what I'm saying? So I had to embrace the idea of bravery and teaching my children how to be brave as opposed to constantly rooting them in fear, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, that's when I learned that I don't want a parent from a place of fear, which causes Mm -hmm. anxiety. I want a parent from a place of liberation. I want a parent from a place of joy. I want a parent from a place of creativity, right? So whenever that anxiety comes up for me, I ask myself, what is the fear? And I have to look at that fear and see the root of it and see the cause of it and decide if I want to move from that space. And that's not an easy thing because Black people getting killed by police, state-sanctioned violence against Black bodies in general, we don't even have to go to killing. We can go to the Black maternal health rate. is a very, very real thing. So I really don't say that lightly. And I don't say that as if it's easy. You really have to constantly ask yourself that question as a Black parent. And what it comes down to is, I really had a happy childhood. I really had a happy childhood. And I want my children to have a childhood of, as Thea always talks about, of joy and creativity. And I want them to learn to exist from that space because white supremacy wants wants them to exist from a place of fear, anxiety, and bondage. And if I'm trying to raise free children, then the first thing I have to do is free myself, which requires healing. A lot of that anxiety is unhealed trauma, right? Therefore, my children can see that. Like I always say, I don't heal for myself. I heal for my children as well so that they can see what healing looks like, so they can see healing tools. And I think that that's a form of generational wealth. We can pass on that healing to our children so that they can learn to function from that space as well. So that's how I relieved a lot of that kind of anxiety that came up as a parent for me and creating the best life. And creating the best life for your children means creating the best life for yourself. So you can't encourage your children to dream if you're not dreaming. You can't encourage your children to be free, go see the world if you're not doing that yourself. I like that. How about you, Thea? This is kind of two parts for me because it's when I was a young parent, when I was starting, and I want to meet people where they could be in their journey, I thought I had to do everything perfect, you know? And I, I don't know if this is true for Black fathers, but for, for mothers, you feel like everyone's watching you. Mm-hmm. If something's wrong, they're going to say it to you. If something is wrong with the child, if something's wrong with the home, if something's wrong with the relationship with the other parent, they're going to say it's you. And so it's the anxiety is 
is actually even bigger than the child themselves. It's the perception you as your, the, the world's view of you changes. Your identity changes because the world now views you within a certain context and a certain idea. And before that, you were just a person like other people. But now you're this thing that people have a zillion thoughts and ideas and opinions about. And so you're just trying to sort of survive and navigate. Like a lot of what's motivating you isn't even child driven, Mm -hmm. right? You love Mm -hmm. your child, of course, but you're also trying to navigate and define this thing that came to you in a very prescribed way. So you are in the very, very early stages of defining motherhood for yourself while trying to cultivate a relationship with this new being, getting a zillion opinions on what's best practice and what's not best practice in a society that really ultimately, I know it may look on the surface like they offer, but where it matters and where it counts, there's very little support for parents and mothers. There's very, it's like, don't have them if you can't take care of them. And that's really not the attitude that, that's not an Afrocentric attitude. That's not an indigenous way of thinking about children. Children are a part of our world, not just the parents' world, right? They are part of our, they're ours. And so never, ever, I think in the history of the world have parents felt so isolated with the experience of bringing in life and taking care of life. It was truly a communal responsibility, but never have you ever seen it be more isolated than you do right now. It's particularly in the West um, Mm -hmm. and in the United States. So some of the pieces that Crystal's referring to, I gave it all up. There was no, the only way I felt like I could fill those shoes was to leave the other shoes behind. I couldn't be who I was. That had to all come second to this new identity. And I tried that for a long time and it made me really good at creating conditions under which my children could feel safe and maybe even thrive, but it wasn't sustainable because I was not thriving. And so there had to come these moments where I had to come into a redefining of this journey that included me. And I'm still doing that. I'm still still learning that. I can hear even good news for myself. And my first thought is like, how will they feel about this? How will this impact them? You know, it's, it's a conflict that I still currently live with because it's one I helped shape by what I didn't know coming into this. The second way I want to answer that though, is if I were to do it now, if I were to be starting that journey new, I would tell parents that there has to be freedom for you and the child in that parenting. You also have to embrace the idea of death you have to remember that life is fragile and there's no guarantees and that, yes, you could lose your child and yes, your child could lose you. And so let that shape your interactions. Let that knowing make it make you decide maybe to not say that thing or to maybe, you know, have a different conversation or choose a different path. Let the reality, as opposed to being scared that something mm-hmm. could happen, let it be like, yeah, shit could happen. So I need to make the most of every single interaction and moment. And I also need to not let fear prevent me from letting my child have a natural organic exploration and experimentation with their life. I have to trust that they will gravitate and know what feels right for them, but that requires some space 
to experiment and fail and fall and make mistakes and it gets ugly and it gets really, really fucking messy for everybody, but it is supposed to be messy. If it's clean and paint by the numbers, it's colonized and it's not the right fit. It needs to be messy. It needs to look different than the person next to you. And if you're, if that's the most important space to protect, not you know, whether or not this will last forever, because it won't, we know that not whether or not it's perfect to the outside world, but whether or not in this space, we are able to co-liberate and coexist and do so free from fear and judgment. So that that's what I would offer at this point. But I definitely understand and have a lot of grace for that, that starting point of the journey. I also want to say like, kind of concretely what I what I mean by being brave. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we think about safety, we think about putting like a hard shell around our children and putting all of these safety protocols into place, right? But when I talk about being brave, I'm talking about building a home in which your children can share with you. Because if harm does come to my children, this is what the Sandusky and uh, Eddie Long thing taught me, that if harm does come to my children, I want them to be brave enough to say something, to tell me, to feel as though they live in a home where they can say that they've been hurt. And that first starts with the parent-child relationship. And it doesn't always feel good when your child tells you that you have hurt them, when your intention was to be good, but you have to make space for that. So, because that's teaching your child to come forward when they feel as though, you know, they've been harmed and not to accept harm as normal and think that it's their fault if they could not prevent it. <laughs> you know, oh, there's a child that might there's a child that might get harmed. There's a child that might get harmed. Forget everything we just said. Harm is about to befall this child. I I I think it's being handled very gracefully. Yes. But you see how it goes though, because how many times has she had to open that door? Mm -hmm. And she and she has said she recording. See how it goes? You see you see how it happened? So my third question. And it kind of relates to people setting different metrics about where your child should be, what your parents thought your kids should eat versus what you think they should eat. And just, you know, the fact that even science, like science of good intentions of raising children is a continually evolving and improving field. And that mm -hmm. there's grifters out there that use misinformation mm -hmm. to get your money or for other nefarious means. How do you mm -hmm. avoid misinformation when it comes to what is good for or bad for children? And how do you vet parenting and childcare information in general? Mm. So knowing what I know now, <laughs> I feel like your spiritual life is a super, super, super essential part of your parenting life. I've always been a spiritual person, but I, I didn't necessarily have a strong spiritual practice the way I do now. And so you have to have such deep trust in yourself, your instincts, your gut, but also be attuned with your child and their instincts and their intuition and their gut. So for example, I know like with Crystal, she had a son who like didn't really want to eat meat. And she was like, this kid's probably going to be vegetarian. She didn't try to force him to eat meat. She kind of took his lead and watched to see what he gravitated to naturally and what he didn't. So if you were taking in the prescribed idea of it, right, from from different places or different information, you would say, well, they have to eat all these things every day because this is what a balanced thing looks like. But your kid's body is saying, I need more of this, less of this, more of this. And they're naturally 
gravitating towards it. Like my friend's son is like, we just turned one. They taught him to sign certain things. And so she'll say, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? And he'll say yes or no in sign language, which means he, he, he knows what he's desiring, what he's craving, what he wants. And so I think that is really important because it's like we prepare all the external practical mm-hmm. things and we think about, you know, giving up emotional space and all this stuff, but we really don't think about, we are constantly in a white supremacist capitalist society that's teaching us to not trust our gut, not trust our instinct, to trust the advertisement over the instinct. And we're missing the inner knowing and knowledge that we come with and that this child comes with. And so I I, I say that part, like, I think the only way you're going to get through it, because you're going to keep making products and they're going to be pretty and they're going to be fabulous and they're going to have celebrities selling them. And the only way to know what shit you actually need or don't need is if you and your kid are attuned spiritually with your own instinct and your own gut, and you just kind of trust that. And then you can start bringing in people who are of the same mindset, but in different fields. Like I do know doctors who will be open to that conversation and be like, okay, let's do that. And let's see if there's a way to supplement X, Y, and Z. That doesn't just dismiss it. There's a way to marry the concepts, but I think it should start with the inner knowing of the parent and the child. Yeah, I agree with that. And like Thea said, I vet through trusted people sources. The Mm -hmm. best vetting for a parent, I think, is people who you trust. People who you trust. Not people who you know, (laughs) but people who you trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I'm surrounded by friends that are therapists. So (laughs) if my children are going through a mental health challenge, then they are Black women, not just therapists, but they're healers as well then I call on them because I know that they also understand white supremacy and systemic and institutional oppression when it comes to the mental health system and Black people and Black children. And so they Mm -hmm. are trusted people who I can go to, to vet sources and to vet information and to give me advice that I can really stand on. And so that's why I think Mm -hmm. it's really important that as a parent, you build a village. Yes, yes, yes. That's why it's it's so important because not only do children have so much information coming at them, but parents have a lot of information coming at them. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you have to have a way to vet that information. And it's really... Crystal helps you know, raise my kids. I help raise Crystal's yeah, kids. That's it's really through village. My next question is, at what age do you think parents should start talking about difficult subjects such as sexuality, consent, and racism. I love this question. I love this question too. First of all, I don't want parents to look at these as difficult subjects. It's the the world we live in. It's life. It's life. It's the world that we live in. Because if you look at it as difficult, it's like... (laughs) 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 Um, I think you start addressing these topics when children have questions. Now, in my house... I think from birth, I was talking about systemic and institutional oppression, white supremacy, racism. That, those words are just in my house all the time. But I just think that when, when kids have questions, then you begin to answer them with age-appropriate language. We're sexual beings. We're, we come here as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. the truth of it. So. When they have questions. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm a doula. So I watch births on, you know, Instagram and videos all the time. And my now nine-year-old has been watching births since the age of three. So he doesn't, it wasn't a sexual thing to him, Mm -hmm. but he was like, oh, I love when the head pops out. That's my favorite part. I love the first time when the head pops out. (laughs) And so 
now he has an understanding of birth that I didn't have, that I didn't grow Mm -hmm. up with. You know, he sees it as like this beautiful, amazing thing and not uh, those parts of our bodies as something to be hidden, something to be shamed, but something that can do something really, really amazing, you know? And then came the question, well, how did the baby get inside of her, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, or how did the baby get inside of them? Then I answer that with age appropriate language. And there are tons of books out there. Sonia Renee Taylor has written great books (laughs) about about how to talk to your children uh, with appropriate language at, you know, certain ages. So there's tons of information, especially like with race. I mean, I talk to my children about Blackness more than I talk to my children about race. I think white parents need to talk to their children about race. I talk to my children about Blackness and Black culture, which is how we move, how we talk, the foods that we eat, our history, how we move forward, how we evolve. Race is about white supremacy and systemic and institutional oppression. Those are two very different conversations, right? And so I talk to my children a lot about Blackness and our history. Now, race can come up in that, but I'm always centering the conversation in our culture and our power and not who we are in relation to white people. That's the difference between having a conversation about race and having a conversation about culture. Having a conversation about race is who we are in relation to white people. Having a conversation about culture is what we've created and who we are in relation to ourselves. I like that. How about you, Thea? So, no, I I, I agree. That's my answer, is that um, you have a conversation when it's brought up organically. It could come up through the kid. It could come up like in your gut, like, hmm, like I'm feeling like, Mm-hmm. It might be the time, but I think trusting it. A lot of what we're saying goes back to the parents getting back to trusting themselves and their children and their bodies. And this is funny because the more advanced we become, the more complicated we make this when literally this has been happening since the beginning of time and folks have clearly survived it and we're here. So it's not super complex. What's what's happened is capitalism has created this big question mark between our ability to relate as parent and child and our ability to grow as community and fill that question mark with a bunch of like fucking coupons and advertisements. And so the truth is you would answer it when it came up. If we had no tech and no experts and none of this, and we were just out in the woods living with our kid and they were like, dad, mom, you know, parent, loved one. This is, I was thinking about this. I saw this in the woods today and I was wondering what you thought about this. And that's exactly how the shit happens now. If you remove all the stuff, right? That's still the way it happened. They encounter it in the wild of the world and we have to answer it then. So the, the worst thing to do is to not answer it because then that question doesn't go away. They're going to seek that answer through other sources. And you want to be one of the sources, if not the first source they stop at. And if you squash the question asking or you shame it or you give off any signal that you're panicked about it, then you're going to lose your audience. <laughs> and I will say, you know, it also comes from spending time with your kids. Like we have movie night and there are also shows that me and my kids watch together. So like one of the shows was Blackish and all kinds of topics would come up on Blackish. And so, you know, I remember the other day I was rewatching it and the episode of Diane getting her period came on and my nine year old was like, What's the period? Why is she so mean? And I was like, <laughs> Okay, well, here we go. We're having this conversation today. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, we yeah. had the conversation, but that's another way, like actually spending time 
time with your kids and noticing like, you know, my now 13 year old, when he was 11, it was like bad time and it was prolonged and prolonged. And then at 13, it was like, oh, can I get some Dove men's soap? Oh, Gigi, can you buy me some cologne for Christmas? Hmm. Now I'm not going to, you know, is your child spending a little bit more time in the bathroom than usual, especially if they're a boy? Are you finding socks under the bed? You don't have to say what's happening. But that's a cue that you may, it's maybe time for the conversation. I would add to, um, I like what you said, Crystal, that it needs to be a continuing conversation like that oh, absolutely. shifts with mm-hmm. age. My mother, I'm going to say her parents did not teach her about not just sexuality, but like anatomy, right? And so there's a lot of things about mm-hmm. her own body that she didn't understand. She mm-hmm. said, I'm not going to let it be that way for my children. So from That's birth, beautiful. Um, she taught us from like, there was nothing about appropriate though. She's a nurse. She taught like in nurses standard. The let medical terms. terms. Nurses? Yes. The medical terms. Nurses? Nurses kids? Nurses be like, this is your penis. Mm-hmm. Like, ner- yeah, yeah. Don't call it anything else. That's not More right. More specifically, yeah. your penis has a foreskin and you need to peel it <laughs> yes. back and wash it with soap and water whenever you shower. Because if you don't, your penis is a gland. This is good. It will release smegma. <laughs> it will get trapped That's up in there and That's it will cause an infection. That's and nurse, then you'll have man. to go to the doctor and they'll have to clean the smegma out for you. That's the nurse. So just flip that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and wipe. But the interesting flip it and wipe. thing, she'd been telling me, like I said, since birth, the interesting thing is that I don't really remember, the, whatever the first thing she ever told me was, like, I knew what a vagina was, all that stuff. By mm-hmm. age five, didn't remember. Like, all the stuff mm-hmm. before age five, she, she never held anything back, don't remember. It wasn't until after then that, mm-hmm. like, the conversation started actually sticking. So that's why I do think also, mm-hmm. even if yeah. you think like, oh, I already told you, it's okay to still bring it back up later on. Yes, absolutely. And they're kids, their absolutely. minds are developing. So information is going in and out. So it takes more than one time to root the information. That's just that's just like a developmental thing, like real talk. Yeah. So next question. This is where you guys thrive. What are steps parents can take to avoid losing sight of their own needs while raising a child? And I'll preface it by just saying, like, you know, I think there's a lot of parents that you it's very unfortunate they get divorced soon after their children move out of the house, go to college or something. It's because Mm -hmm. they spent 18 years focused on the child. And it's like when that's finally over, Mm -hmm. you look back at each other and you don't recognize each other. And it's like. Sometimes that's a good thing. You know, I'm pro-divorce if the, if it's really not working out. But I also think sometimes you both stop treating each other well because your focus stops being each other and yourselves yeah, when you're raising absolutely. a child. Absolutely. So all relationships should expand you. Your relationship with your children is no different. So the relationship is not just to meant to expand one person. It is not just meant to teach one person. It is a reciprocal relationship. Parent and child is a reciprocal relationship. And sometimes this is why our podcast is focused on the mother as opposed to focus on the children, because sometimes we get a hyper vigilant focus on the child and we lose ourselves. And that hyper vigilant focus comes from the anxiety and the anxiety of your child not being safe, right? So we already talked about that earlier of like how to, what that anxiety is rooted in, right? And so you have to 
also remember, and this is the mantra of our podcast, that if this relationship is meant to expand me, then there are things that I'm supposed to be learning too. And I'm supposed to, and in order to see those things and notice the lessons that I'm supposed to learn, I have to have a focus on myself and my child. And the mantra of our podcast is motherhood is not the graveyard of dreams. Because if it's meant to expand you, it doesn't mean that you lose your dreams. You can dream new dreams. You can adjust your dreams. You can make realistic expectations when it comes to your dreams because you want to be present for your child and be present for yourself as well. No one is going to give you space as a mother because in this culture, the way that things are designed is that mothering is a sacrificial experience. If you ain't up on the cross every single day, then you are not a good mother. So you're supposed to sacrifice everything. And that is how when your child turns 18 and they leave home or whenever your child decides to leave home, you look up and you don't even know who you're looking at because you haven't grown along with the child. And so it's not supposed to be sacrificial. It's reciprocal. So it is giving, but it is also receiving. And that means that because in this culture, it's defined as sacrificial, then no one is going to give you the time. So you have to take the time. No one is going Mm -hmm. to give you the space. So you have to take the space. And if you don't know what your own dreams are, if you don't know who you are, how are you guiding someone to discover who they are as well? If you don't know what brings you joy from within yourself, not if I'm doing this for other people, this is what brings me joy. Because so often women are judged by what we do and not who we be. You have to figure out who you are and you may be a new person after this child has entered your life. And you have to take the time to discover that. That means taking time with your friends. If you have a partner, taking time with your partner. That means also taking time for yourself. Awesome. How about you, Fia? That's very tender for me. Really, really tender for me. And I think similar to what you were just saying, that is a continuous conversation for yourself because it can happen at different Mm -hmm. stages of your child's life and your life. So I had conquered that at one point. I had literally fought that war and won it and found myself falling back into that trap in a different way, in a different form within the next decade. So I think particularly, again, speaking as a mother, the only way I have found to not fall into the trap is to train myself to think of myself first and to trust that anything that is good for me will be good for my family, especially in the later years. Like my kids are teens and my last one is 18. My stepdaughter is turning 16 this year. So in these years, when they don't need me the same way, what's more important than what I'm doing for them is who I'm showing them I am Mm -hmm. and who I'm showing them they could be. And so I've had to learn that the guilt I felt for wanting to do things for myself was actually me modeling for them that they're still important no matter what roles they take on in their life. I have all daughters. So whatever roles they take on, whether it's their job or motherhood or whatever, that they are still a a person in that identity. Mm -hmm. They are a person in that role and that that person is more important than the role. And so I have to sometimes prove that to them. I travel And I do things that I used to feel so guilty about. And there's still things I'm doing and want to do that I I have to fight through that guilt for. But I remember that I have to show them who I am, not just tell them. And and at this stage, particularly, it's important that they see a woman who 
doesn't play small and doesn't hide from the world, you know? So I can't do that just because I love them and say, because they're my family, I will play small and hide for them. I don't think that's what they actually want from me either, though they have their own conflict with how they want me to show up. And I have my conflict with what if I don't want to show up that way. So it's still very tender, but it's an ongoing journey, particularly if you started your parenting journey around the needs of others. Next question. I don't know if anyone has an answer for this one, or really, what I should really say is the answer is out there and no one wants to like take action on it. Oh God, what is this question? There are two (laughs) statistics that have me concerned for children right now. Two recent statistics. Mm -hmm. First, gun violence recently overtook car accidents as the leading cause of death in children ages 1 to 18. I think that's from the New York Times, but I'll post sources in the description. Second, Mm -hmm. there have been more mass shootings so far this year than there have been days in the year, as of the last time I checked. What steps Mm -hmm. can parents take to keep their children Mm -hmm. safe from gun violence? So the gun violence that we're seeing, the violence that we're seeing is symptomatic of what we know to be a larger issue, which is that America's history of violence is like coming to a head. And there's different leaders that we've had in our lifetime that have predicted this lack of safety in public spaces, that have predicted this type of violent upbringing. I mean, it's been predicted for a long time. As a parent, I go back to what I said before, right? Like how you live every day with your child is the best way to not move in a way that is always afraid that something outside of your little world with your family is going to take your child from you. Now, of course, we can lobby, we can fight, we can do a whole bunch of things. But part of what made me shift my practice as a practitioner was the shooting in Uvalde. And as a mental health professional, what I knew was that the way professionals are being trained now in the field is not going to stop that. And you can flood people into mental health, and I get it, and they'll just be calming down symptoms that are showing that there's a really aggressive disease in America, which has been violent since its inception, but nobody wants to have that fucking conversation. And so for me, when I watch this, it's awful, it's terrible, it's heart-wrenching, it's also just the natural outcome of not dealing with your shit, is that it's going to come up in what we can consider these spontaneous mental health episodes that aren't mental health anymore. They're soul crises. People don't know who they are. They don't know whose they are. They don't know what is real. They don't know what is fake. It is disastrous for a psyche. This is literally watching the country have a psychotic break. And yet no one wants to call it that. And because of that, as a parent, what I do is I spiritually arm my children. You know, I I teach them to follow their instincts. I teach them to follow their gut. We do the little stuff that we need to know to be aware, but we also tune in a lot. We tune in as much as we can in this house so that whatever we have to do to judge safety in a situation, we can. And we also are building relationships around the world so that we have context for what it means to be in a nonviolent society and how we can contribute to that. So there is no real like answer like you're saying for it, but but we can understand the big picture of where we are and when we are in this American cycle. And we can not take for granted the time we have with our families you can kind of like do a lot of inner work and we can fight like hell to make sure that we are advocating for safety measures. It's also very telling that they don't give a fuck how much we talk about it and that they would rather talk about a whole bunch of other shit. I mean, we know what we are and we know who they are and we have to make decisions about that. Yeah. I mean, I just concur. I, I mean, I get that. I do 
Hopefully this is a lighter question, but thank you. I think we've all seen examples of someone parenting a child in a way that didn't sit right with us. Do you think it's appropriate for people to comment on someone else's (laughs) parenting? Thea, I'm laughing, y'all, because Thea turned her video off. (laughs) I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. If so, meaning if you think it's okay to comment on someone else's parenting methods, how can we do so in a respectful manner? <laughs> I mean, people take it people take it so personal. It's really hard to do in a in a respectful manner because, you know, your parenting for a, is is rooted in who you are. And so people It's very really, vulnerable. It's very vulnerable, so people really take it personal. I mean, I have seen it go down in mom groups, like go down in mom groups. You know what I'm saying? People take it so personal. I mean, you know, (sighs) I mean, here's the thing though. Let's be real. We're going to have to joint this answer a little bit (laughs) because you can't know the full context. Right. This is the problem with making all the comments. I'm going to number it out. Number one, you can't know the full context. You can't know the full context. So go in knowing I don't know everything. The second thing I would say is ask the parent if they need anything. Instead of coming at the parent about you know, you think you should be doing it to your child. Be like, do you need anything? Is there anything I can do to help? Because most likely that parent is not doing what we think they should be doing because they're doing the best they can with what they have and something's falling through the gaps. So if I didn't do the thing about their parenting, but I asked about the parent and if they need anything, if something, like I'll see a parent struggling with a kid in, in a story and I'll be like, do you want me to hold that for you while you figure this out? That's a lot going on. You know, and they'll be like, oh my God, like nobody says anything. They just see me like going crazy with the kid, right? So ask the parent if they need some help, okay? You know, I mean, if you see somebody getting like beat down, you got to do what you got to do. But the, but really some of it is just like preference and parents are really struggling. And so you don't know the full context. And if you're going to say something, offer help to the parent. That's what I would say. I would say the best language that Thea has ever given me is be curious, not accusatory. Mm, I like it. You know? And don't associate the behavior with the kind of person the parent is. Because, I mean, it's some stuff. I'm going to keep it real, Dion. It's some stuff that just went down in this house that if Child. it was some videos. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I and mean, if you want to come up in here you know, and be like, well, you know I'm what not, you I'm should not, do. I'd be like, but you, right. I'm, did, you I'm, did you know I'm this? I'm not going to always did act you know like this? I was a conscious parent. You know what I'm saying? Like I was parenting in a conscious way. It was, yeah, it was a journey. Sometimes Crystal would say, my ashe is not high Some days day. my ashe is not high, right? And today it's is, low. I told you when we started out, today my ashe is not high. So what am I doing? I'm tapping out on motherhood. There's stuff in there to eat. They have plenty of stuff to occupy them. I'm tapping out. You know what I'm saying? So be curious. You know, I was, when I first started out as a parent, I had gotten moved across the country, got married, found out I was pregnant. Barack Obama was elected president of the United States. And I, I began raising a preteen two weeks into my marriage. Mm. A middle schooler. And I was high functioning with depression. You know what I'm saying? Oh boy. If, if somebody could have saw, <laughs> somebody could have saw people who were like, oh my gosh, she's abusive, all this other stuff. But nobody was curious. Nobody, nobody asked. Nobody, nobody asked. was curious. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, so I, so that's why I say like, if you could have a camera, you know, some days it was like, what the fuck are you thinking? You know, I told you da 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 yeah. da 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 da. Yeah. Am I proud of that? Absolutely not. I cringe 
when I think about putting my children through that, right? But now I understand that there that there was so many other things going on around that. Yeah. I would say the third thing too, the third thing would be sit with your own trigger. Because if you feeling so moved that you feel like you got to go over there and say something, like who yelled at you that you haven't healed from? Like that's a, that could be your own shit. So also you better deal with that before you go over there. Cause some of them parents, they may not have degrees in psychology, but they know how to push a button and break you down quickly. Oh, so your mama did, did, did you, oh, you know, mama, mama. it'd be a lot. And you don't want that. They will read you. Don't, don't let degrees, no degree. It don't matter. You will get your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. So that'll be three, like sit with it and see if that's triggering something for you. There we go. <laughs> okay next question when i was younger one of the major challenges for children was cyberbullying right now i think a big issue is feeling pressure to constantly perform for people online there are children and adults actually that are committing crimes on tiktok and instagram live for likes making comments that will Hmm. get them kicked out of school And there are influencers that in a way become addicted to their viewership rates, where Mm -hmm. when views go down and the actions they take to bring them back up don't work, they have a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice on setting boundaries for children in the age of social media and considering that we'll likely be more connected as technology advances advice for helping them develop a healthy relationship with technology that they can take into adulthood. So I got a quick answer. I cheat. So in my house, you know, I have, we have four children. I have a 25 year old, a 22 year old. And so they are on social media, the same social media apps as my 13 year old. Mm-hmm. And so they will let me know. Oh girl, that's good. Anything is out of bounds. So I cheat. So I recommend if you got a, a young cousin, you know, get you a young gun, get you a young gun up in them, up in them TikTok streets. Cause I'd be on TikTok like a boomer, like what this is. Oh, I got messages. So yeah, so I, I cheat, but I, I think the bigger thing is again, conversations with your children. It goes back to that because even if you're following them on those social media apps, they're going to get, they, they can get a dummy account or just whatever. So it really goes back to having conversations about with your children about who they are, who they want to be. And as Thea said, don't be in denial. They're probably going to make a mistake on there. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh my God. Many mistakes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important as parents to having this conversation to not demonize it. I feel like I struggle. I don't, enjoy it the way they enjoy it. I I didn't live my life in tech the Mm -hmm. way they did. And so, you know, I have to be careful not to judge what is really the equivalent to them to riding a bike was for me, you know, or going to the Um, club or going to the club. Um, At the same time though, I'm very, I teach my kids about shadow and light so that everything in nature has duality. Everything has polarity. So everything has its light and everything has a shadow. So let's have a conversation about what is, good about social media and let's be real about what's toxic about it and how do you recognize that in your body, right? Like, do you feel sleepy? Do you feel drained? Do you feel like you start to doubt yourself? Do you still feel like you start to, you know, look at your food different, look at your body different? So it's a great way of connecting the tech back to the body is 
how is your body responding to the tech and using that to decipher whether you're engaging in the shadow of tech or in the light of tech, right? And so we've been having that conversation. And sometimes, you know, it's scary because they've gone out there and they've been like in front of those screens. And I, I know it's too much. I know they need to pull back, but I need them to know when that is. I need them to know when they hit that point. So if I were to take it too soon, they don't feel it internally when they hit that point. And after hitting it a couple of times, they start to, on their own, curb it. It's going to be a beast for the foreseeable future, for sure, um, unfortunately. And we're also in this world where like illusions and things that are fake <laughs> are being given the same credence as what is real and human and natural. They're being given the same value system, the same worth. And that is super, super scary because then... Where's the grounding? Where's the rooting? How do you know the earth is beneath your feet at all? You know, but we're headed there. We're already there. Also, a lot of nature. Make sure your kids have a plant they take care of or a puppy or something that is actually a real tangible thing that they can touch. Um, because I think that's also very important. And I also teach them how to vet things on TikTok. Well, not just on social media, period. My 13 year old is notorious for telling me something. I'll be like, You saw that on TikTok? And he'll be like, No. Well, you see it. Anyway. <laughs> go, go. Where? What are your sources? Show me. Show me where you they saw don't like it. That, and, and, and I, but it's and I real. Said, I'm not. I'm not judging you, but I just. I'm teaching you how to vet information. I think that's important for everybody. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. all ages. Yes. Well, I have. Yeah, because I have to do that with my mom too. Uh, my on mom Facebook. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Caribbean. For me, it tends to be WhatsApp. <laughs> oh yes, yes. But yeah, I get I'm it. not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to, you know, disparage anybody, but that's my that's my lived experience. But um, my next question is, um, are there any resources you recommend parents look into for things like emotional support, child care, child development programs, or just something you think parents need that they don't always realize they should seek out? Okay. If you are having a child, if you're thinking about having a child, uh, one resource that I would recommend is evidence-based birth for all things childbirth related. It's evidence-based. So it can help you cipher through all of the discussions around best practices and things like that. Um, another group, particularly for Black parents that I w w uh, recommend is a Facebook group called Consciously Parenting for the Culture. And the reason I recommend this group is, you know, I'm on a conscious parenting journey and also, I recommend this group because it has so many resources in the group in terms of child development. So like brain development, emotional development, and all, the, and all that at a particular age. I think it's a great, 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 great resource for that. You may not be ready to jump into that because it is about conscious parenting, but it's also a group that has a lot of grace, gives a lot of grace and space and understands that conscious parenting is a journey, not a destination. And everybody, and even if you didn't start out conscious parenting, but you want to transition to it, it's a group that has grace and space for that because that's called Consciously Parenting for the Culture. And lastly, I would recommend books by Sonia Renee Taylor that are, I can't think of the titles right now, but I can get them to you, that are, mm -hmm. um, that give you language to talk to your child um, about their body, their sexuality, and um, sex. So those would be resources that I recommend for parents. And also, I encourage everyone to please watch our platform because we are going to be developing things for 
like right now we are mom centered, black mom centered, black mom focused, but we will be developing things that help that that help black moms not lose themselves. Like the question that you asked, how do you not lose yourself in the parenting journey and not bury your dreams underneath motherhood? So those are my sources that I recommend. Awesome. And yeah, for the books, you know, shoot them my way. I'll put them yeah, in the description. Yeah, I will. For sure. All right. We made it to the last question. Okay. Is there something I haven't asked that you think is essential for current parents to know? No, I think we covered so much. I don't think that there's anything. I appreciate you inviting us to your platform. I think it was a pretty in-depth conversation. So there's nothing that I can think of. Awesome. I'd like to thank you for coming on. For those of you listening, Thea had to hop off to go be a mama. (laughs) But I'd like to thank Crystal and Thea for coming on to the show. Before we conclude, can you um, tell us where the audience can find you? You kind of did at the beginning. The other option is I usually tell people if you, you don't want people finding you, you can promote a charity that you want to shout out or some other organization. Well, you can find us at uh, uh, www.dimblackmamas.com. That's D-E-M, blackmamas.com. That's our website. And the links to all our social media uh, platforms are on there. Uh, We are mostly on Instagram, like on on Instagram. We on Facebook and on Twitter, but we like really on Instagram. (laughs) And you can find us there at Dim Black Mamas Podcast, D-E-M, Black Mamas Podcast. Mamas is M-A-M-A-S. M-A-M-A-S podcast. So you can find us there. And we also have a Patreon and you can just type in them Black Mamas and Patreon. But all those links are on our website and all those links are also in our bio on our Instagram page. So come on over, see what's going on. It's fun over there. We have a good time. Awesome. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to leave a review and check out my feedback survey in the description. To be a guest on the show, hit me up at AdultingHS on Facebook or Instagram or at AdultingHS at gmail.com if you want to email me. With that said, this has been Adulting Horror Stories. I'll see you in the next one. A mother of four. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Recording with some mamas now. Yes. Boo. You about to really okay. understand.